Hello and welcome to the Gibraltar Business Podcast. I'm your host, David Ragliate, and I am thrilled to be back for a fourth season. Whether you're a first-time listener or a loyal fan, thank you for tuning in and supporting the show. It means everything that you're there and we couldn't do it without you. The Gibraltar Business Podcast is brought to you by the GFSB and is sponsored by the Gibraltar International Bank, which shares our passion for all things business. I am grateful to the bank for their continued support of this project and invaluable contribution to the show. In this episode, we dive deep into Gibraltar's real estate market, exploring the challenges and opportunities it presents. Our guest today is Luis Montegrifo, co-founder of BMI Group Estate Agents. Luis will share his experience, his insights on his career, on the recent price rises, the constant uncertainty that's facing us at the moment, and the boom in studio apartments here locally. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. So Luis, thank you for your time this evening. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. For the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us how you started the company? Well, it goes back a long way to 1996 when I first came back to Gibraltar after finishing studying and um, spending some time traveling, mainly in South America. The intention was to come back really to earn a little bit of money and travel again. Um, the reality was I fell into uh, the property sector very quickly at the time. The property sector was very small in Gibraltar, very few properties available to sell. The market was insignificant by comparison to what it is today. Rates per square meter, and we'll talk about that later on, obviously we're substantially less, etc. But nevertheless, I got into finding a job within a new startup real estate company, which actually today doesn't exist anymore. And it went extremely well very, very quickly. And very shortly after starting to work for uh, this new setup, um, I was approached by uh, my now long-standing partners to set up a new estate agency, which was about a year, a year and a half into uh, when I first started working. It was at the age of 24, 25, a difficult decision to take and sort of develop a new business of which I would be essentially a founding partner of, uh, but set up and, and drive forward. Uh, that actually happened in April the 8th, 1998. Yeah. When we first opened doors, if you like, for BMI Property Matters Limited, which is commonly known as BMI Group. And I guess the rest is history. But the reality was that uh, I fell into it very quickly uh, as, as a new business owner, yeah. uh, other than the fact I've been doing property for a while. I was very lucky, I suppose, um, at the time in those days where there were very few estate agents and the property sector was really just starting to create itself really driven by the economy. And if you go back to 1996, 97, the economy really was very, very small. If I'm not mistaken, probably worth in a region of around 300 million as opposed to numbers now, which I think probably 3.1, 3.2 billion. So lucky in that I was able to grow with what was the beginnings of an economy. The election of 1996, I believe, saw a new government. They essentially focused primarily on the changing face of Gibraltar from an MOD-driven sector with tourism and shipping mm. in tow to essentially what became vibrant mm. financial services, e-gaming economy, also you know amplified and driven by tourism and shipping, which is there mm. as well. So yeah, very lucky from that perspective. And that really was the beginnings of my history and my mm. walk in life, so to speak. You talked there about very transformational times, right? So I think, you know, a few of the episodes and a few of the people that we've spoken to over, over the last few seasons have talked about that period in Gibraltar history where a lot of things kind of became easier and a lot of opportunity existed. Going back to, you mentioned you were a young man at the time. How did it feel 
for you at the time? Um, Nerve-wracking. Um, I'm not sure if I care to admit the fact that on weekends I'd probably weep on occasion at the stress of setting up a new business at a young age, uh, for starters, very much on my own. I mean, at the time, I think it was just myself and, and, and one or two other staff. Yes, exciting and difficult, exciting, but, but you know, I think, I think we worked through it over a period of a year or two. Uh, Gibraltar was changing, I think, we know now, but at the time there were massive changes. We we came, we were coming uh, out of a difficult period in Jib uh, between the early 90s and mid 90s with an economy, if you like, that we didn't particularly want Gibraltar to be driven by. And, you know, it was difficult to forecast how we would do. Um, I remember my father, when I first came back to Gibraltar, um, historically seeing what Jib had gone through politically and economically actually asking, you know, why are you coming back? You know, is, is there really a future for you in Gibraltar? Thankfully, I think a lot of my generation, um, thankfully, a lot of very, very highly qualified politicians, mm. lawyers, accountants, people in the sector saw big opportunities in Jib. And we saw that transition come about slowly initially, but then very quickly, I think, post 98, 99 into 2000s into the 2000 and mm. 2001, 2002, when really we saw the main uplift. But they were uncertain times. One of the things I think that we, we, we go back to now, maybe even in those days people knew, but I think it's certainly relevant to bring up now, today, then and in the future, is our language, our legal system, our geographic location. We sometimes uh, underestimate the value of all of that and why that has helped in our continued success over the past 25 years. And, and in fact, this year we celebrate 25 years of BMI. I'd also like to think that over that period of time, um, that success has been driven by some of the qualities that we've got that maybe we, we don't think about and, and don't care to understand are massively valuable to people coming from the outside and looking at Gibraltar as a jurisdiction or a place to live in. You mentioned like 25 years in business is a huge achievement. What inspires you now? I think our view of this business has always been to make sure that we provide good service, uh, good advice. Uh, we tend to be low-key, so without using the word the, a boutique-style estate agency, that's really what I'd like to have people see BMI as. Um, so we're, we're not sort of a chest-beating estate agent, so to speak. We've developed many high-profile but low-key, high-value clients, family offices, private clients, um, and I think they value our confidence and our advice and our guidance. So what inspires me, uh, I think really the continuation of what's been successful already. Do I have aspirations of making BMI a massive franchise of estate agencies? Well, look, never say never. Um, but I think very, very comfortable with what we've achieved. Yes, 25 years is, is a long time insofar as working and doing the same thing. I think we've been lucky to have been involved in many different aspects of property, not just the selling of a property, but obviously property management. I think, well, one of the largest property managers in Gibraltar with over 200 properties that we manage for individual clients and portfolio clients as well. Uh, we've been very fortunate to be involved in advising uh, a number of developers in Gibraltar in the past 20, 25 years, mainly high value developments. That has brought us a great deal of business, of course, and we've met a great many clients who've been involved in those developments. Um, so there are many different aspects that we've got involved in. Lewis, bringing the conversation back to our current day-to-day -day and how the industry is seen, what types of properties are in the highest demand at the moment? 
these, these things change dramatically. But over the past couple of years, I think what's come through in high demand has been owner-occupied driven properties. So larger properties, not necessarily just two, three, four bedrooms, also large one bedrooms. But I think it's a great sign of, of how the economy is doing. When we've advised developers in what to build, i.e. the segments to, to look at and the distributions to look at, we've always felt that a safe bet generally um, for various reasons is to have a mix of one, two, three and four bedrooms, some studios as well. But generally three and four bedroom properties are purchased by people who want to live in them by having a percentage of that 40, 50, 60%. And if you're successful in doing that, you're really underpinning the quality uh, of the buyers that you're getting and the success of the project because there are people who actually want to buy to live in and that, therefore there's a real market for it. When you look at the smaller properties, i.e. studios, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, they can sometimes be purchased invariably when, when it comes to off-plan as an example. They will be purchased by speculators who will either want to resell or let. And there's maybe a little bit more a risk in having too many of those mm. because you're enticing and you're reaching out to speculators that don't really drive a market. So in answer to your question, what I'm very pleased about over the past couple of years, regardless of what I'm sure we'll talk about prices later and <laughs> where they are, is that what we have seen is a huge demand in, again, as I mentioned, owner-occupied driven properties, the larger properties, because people are buying them to move into them mm. and live in them. It's good to see the demand for those kind of properties exists. I think the optics, if you look at kind of some of the developments that are coming up, studio living seems to be one sort of is a big theme. What's your take on this kind of new investment um, studios? I may be the odd one out on this one. We, we took a view uh, four or five years ago to, to be cautious when it came to advice to our clients who were buyers uh, on studios. Generally, studios, when they're off plan, tend to be purchased by speculators or by select investors. Yes, some people buy studios for themselves as owner-occupiers, but they tend to be driven by speculators and by select investors. There's a place in the market for everything, particularly within an economy that's doing well, and we've consistently done well economically for 25 years. My concern four or five years ago with studios was the volume of the amount the volume that was being built and who the end user was going to be. You know, I think where we've got people buying two and three bedrooms, we know that generally these people are moving in. Yes, the buyers are buying to let, but they're moving into those properties for themselves. And therefore, there's a real demand by a real person wanting to move in and live in that space. With studios, we enter the speculative market and the buy to let market. And therefore, you need to look at who the end user is going to be. The end result of a studio being valued at £250,000, which is attractive from a, a price perspective by comparison to a £1.5 million purchase, um, is there. But at the end of the day, who's going to be living in these space? So we were a bit concerned with volumes. We weren't concerned with, is there a place for a studio and a studio market? We were concerned with the volumes mm. being built. And that comes in, you know, what comes into play with that is simple economics. You know, if you've got too much of something... Mm. It has an impact on price and normally it comes down. If you've got too little of something, it has an impact on price and prices go up. Without being too contentious on the topic itself, I would say that um, if you were to look at availabilities today in the market, you'll find that there is a high percentage of studios available both to let and to rent to a degree that is quite substantially high okay. as a percentage. And that, that for me, 
is a little bit concerning in so far as how it affects and how it impacts its price and its its longevity in so far as an asset. You mentioned kind of prices going up and supply and demand you've touched on as well. What's driving the current rise in property? Well, I think the current rise now is, is paused. It's one of those things, I think from if we go back, and I go back in stages, and, and you'll see from our market update that we've got a, a graph that shows you what pro- property prices have done from our perspective. And I think it's a good general review of what the market's done for the past 25 years. At the moment, I would say, if we go back to 2016, which was or June 2016, so 24th of June 2016, which was a pretty dire day and a frightening day um, insofar as where we were heading post the decision on the Brexit referendum. You know, the view was concerning uh, as to what was going to happen to the economy and the property market, not just in Gibraltar, but in the UK. We very quickly realised that actually, because it was going to take so long for an agreement of Brexit to actually happen, the market continued really to do well. I'm not going to say exceptionally well, but well. So we actually ended up having decent years but they were concerning times because there is that uncertainty of what is going to happen there's always that uncertainty what we felt leading up to 2016 was that the higher end of the market so we split the market into over the years four tiers i mean 25 years ago we really had two tiers lower end and middle end and then as the economy's grown and more people have come and expectations have gone higher we've gone into a third tier being the high end tier but leading into 2016, we classed and, and, and named a fourth tier being the ultra-high tier where we were seeing at the time property prices reach over 1 million into 1.5 and 2 million and almost becoming normal numbers, which previously were unheard of. 2016 and the Brexit paused that, but the rest of the market, i.e. low-end, middle-end and the echelons of the high-end tiers continued to sell and we saw growth periods or growth in property prices at normal levels of between five, six, seven percent. When Boris Johnson came into play, which I think was 2019, if I'm not mistaken, like him or not, with a strong parliament, a decision making parliament able to take a decision on where it was going to go, because before it was a very much hung parliament, that I think strengthened the outlook for Jib as well. And we saw things pick up even more. So we started to see that fourth upper end tier come into play again in a bigger way. Then we got to COVID, which at that stage we thought, well, that is it, you know, we throw the towel in and game over. And to our surprise, and I think very shortly after that we realised why, that was actually a very good year for us. That was 2020, if I'm not mistaken. And we had a very good year then. 21 was very much the case. In answer to your question of the driving of the market and what's driving prices, I think we've now, in 2023, hit a slight pause because of more bad news, but different to the previous bad news we've had with with Brexit and COVID, which actually ultimately ended up being good for us in so far as property prices were concerned in the economy. What we saw from particularly November 2020 to I'd say February, March, April 2022, was an increase in price which had never been seen in Gibraltar before. So it was substantial. We'd seen big hikes in Gibraltar before, leading up to 2008 and the credit crunch then. Another hike, I think it was 2014. But the hike that we saw from November 2020 to April 2022 reached, in certain segments, increases of up to 70 percent wow yeah uh the average was probably around 40 45 percent 
So it was phenomenal. They'd never been seen before. Uh, but the pace over such a short period of time um, was obviously incredible. The problem we've got today is that the expectation from the market to a degree continues. Now, it's unsustainable mm. in any market, anywhere in the world, to see a pace like that continue mm. for longer than, than what we already have. It feels anyway. a bit like a, like almost like a bubble, you know, that, that, that we're in. <clears throat> yeah, and, we, and we've talked about bubbles in Jib before. Mm. We've just never mm. really had the burst. Um, I'm not saying that we're going to see a burst now because the fundamentals of Gibraltar are really quite different mm. to most other economies anyway. But I would say that April 2022 saw a plateauing of the market, and for a number of reasons. One, because it had overheated, driven by demand on what I talked about before, large two, three, and four bedrooms, where we're seeing, I'll give you a good example, actually. In November 2020, a three-bedroom in Key 31 would have been sold for around 680, 690,000. By January, it was being sold for 750,000. By March, April, it was being sold for 850,000. And by January, February, 2022, so 14 months later, it was being sold for 1.2 million. The problem we've got today in February, March 23 is that that expectation has continued to the point that someone wants 1.6, 1.7 million. That's not happening. Um, and it's not happening for a number of reasons. One, as I mentioned, that huge increase over such a short period of time. But we then had the war in Ukraine or the start of the war in Ukraine, inflation. We've then had interest rates. Mm. Interest rates generally translate into property prices being affected, yeah. um, rental prices being affected as well. So oddly enough, and this may come across as very strange from me and from the state agent, I welcome the pause because it was unsustainable for it to carry mm. on at the pace it was going. And that pause and adjustment mm. is if you like, a breather, which I think we're going through at the moment. So that's not to say that the market is paused and we're not selling. It's to say that the market is far more price sensitive. And I'm always very careful in people say, well, the market's going down because, you know, I'm not getting my 1.6 million for that three bedroom. You say, well, hang on a second. It's not that it's going down. It's that it went up from 700,000 to 1.2 million in a space of 12, 14 months. And it's just stayed there. So you can still get yeah. 1.2 million yeah. for that three bedroom. Well, we can't expect it for the market to carry to on carry the pace on. it has. Yeah. What do you feel, if anything, would yeah. would cause a downturn in Gibraltar? Well, I, I, would, look, I think what worries me the most is, is the agreement, not so much interest rates and what's going on in the world. Because historically, where the world has been in crisis, places like Gibraltar and Gibraltar has done well. So where you've seen a credit crunch in 2008, which saw interest rates slashed and go down to you know 0%, 0.25%, etc. Um, but the economy in Jib still did well because of its fundamentals of e-gaming, financial services, etc. That actually meant that Gibraltar and the property market actually continue to do really well. more challenges. <laughs> yeah. If you go back to, so I mean, what worries me now, if you go, so I, I think a number of things, I'd probably say them in order, least worrying to most worrying. Look, inflation is a concern. The usage of the word least is, is maybe too mm. much, but am I majorly concerned about that for Gibraltar? Not so much. Am I majorly concerned about interest rates going up to, I think they're at 3.754% mm. at the moment. You see, if you get a mortgage, Four and a half, five percent is what you're paying, if not more. Am I concerned about that? 
Um, not majorly, because a great many of the people who've been buying properties have been buying properties um, with loan to values of 40, 50, 60 percent. Um, those in affordable housing schemes are already paying 5%. Mm. So they're already encapsulated within there anyway. So not majorly concerned about an impact of repossessions of people mm. not being able to afford their properties mm. because of their mortgages. Again, because there is almost zero unemployment. So again, not majorly concerned about that, but it is a concern. Yeah. The biggest concern I think I've got, and I think most people have, is the agreement and that uncertainty. And it's, it's funny because politically in Gibraltar, we've had uncertainty for 300 years. Yes. And economically, when we've developed our economy, we've had uncertainty from, from, from the 90s into the 2000s. You know, so there's always been something. And we've, you know, every time we hit a hurdle, we, we tend to come out of it for the better. I mean, we had the joint sovereignty proposals. That was a concern. Where was Gibraltar going to be? So that agreement, I think, is massively important. As much as I'm almost using it to my favour of seeing that adjustment in the market and that pause mm. being a good thing, it doesn't mean to say that mm. everybody would love to know where we stand so that we can sell and continue to sell Gibraltar mm. as a stable place to be in and a mm. place worthy of, of investing in. That's my biggest concern for Jib at the moment and... I would dare to say, I think historically, if we look at those hurdles that we've had before, we've always come out of them well. This one is slightly, yeah. is slightly different. And, and the other thing I'd say, which, which may, may, again, you know, listeners may, may be interested in, is going to those concerns of interest rates, for example. If you went back to the last time interest rates were high, or rather had peaked, they peaked I remember in 2000, no, so in 1989, 1989, 90, 90, early 1990, they hit 16%. In a day, back in 1990, when really the economy of Gibraltar was non-existent, it was MOD, mainly MOD driven. Whatever small element the property market played in those days, um, it was annihilated. So property prices went down. I don't want to scare listeners too much, but just to put things in perspective, property prices went down 50, 60, 70%. Interest rates have now, so in other words, now we are yet again in an interest rate-led recession. The last recession was 2008, but that wasn't interest rate-led. It was credit crunch-led. Um, but now we're back in a space where 33 years ago, that same impact had a negative impact, a massively negative on the property market in Gibraltar. But the economy is a very different economy, mm. and it's it's underpinned mm. massively by various pillars. Again, going back to what I said, and so far as the interest rates where they are, uh, the exposure we've got to the type of clients we've got, and how they've bought and their loan to values, etc., mm. etc. I am I'm, I'm not of the view that we're going to see what happened in 1990. Mm. But I am of the view now that things have slowed down, have uh, not slowed down, have, have, have are adjusting, yeah. and I think that's a good thing. But the agreement is the key. I agree. I think a lot of our listeners, uh, if not all, will just be would be uh, needing that clarity on the position. Yeah. I guess. Final question, and it goes down to as you started when you started the business, when you were one of the founders of the business, you were really excited. There was a lot of changes. What are you excited about now? I'm excited about the same things to a degree that I was excited about when I started the business in 98, but knowing far more now than I did mm. then, knowing the resilience that Gibraltar has, um, knowing the potential that if we do get an agreement, um, that that will have on Jib, um, its economy, 
the property market and how we, we progress forward. I think at the same time, it would also be fair to say that I think Gibraltar and Gibraltarians will also be reflecting and will be interested to learn about the political dynamics of that agreement, of an agreement, and how that plays into the changing face of Gibraltar culturally. You're Gibraltarian, yeah. I am, you know, yeah. I think we've, you know, Gibraltar's changed dramatically from it's when, I, blowing in terms from of when I was a kid and, yeah. you know, where I knew everyone yeah. as a kid. Now, you know, Gibraltar's grown substantially, how that changes. Those elements can be seen as concerning, um, but they can also be seen as exciting in so far as the potential Gibraltar has. I mean, let's face it, when, when we look at the world around us now, the negativity, mm. the West, even the Western world, mm. you know, with the, the war that's mm. going on, the interest rates, the inflation, just, you know, just putting on the news is, is dramatic. You know, we're very lucky. So, you know, we, we're, we're still today very lucky uh, to be in the position that we're in. So I'm excited about the fact that historically we've always um, surmounted hurdles, that there is a substantial hurdle now of different aspects, the main one being the agreement, but I, you know, I think as ever the cautious optimist that I am, I think I'm excited that if we can get through this line, which I'd like to believe and I firmly believe we can. And even if we can't, even if you know there is a different style of agreement um, that uh, that will do well. Lewis, thanks a lot for your time today and thanks for the discussion. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So that's it for this episode of the Gibraltar Business Podcast. A huge thank you to our guest, Luis Montegrifo, for sharing his insights and experiences with us today. We appreciate your time and expertise on the subject. Luis, thank you. I would also like to thank the team at the GFSB and the production team at Motion. Your hard work and dedication keep this podcast running smoothly week after week. Thank you to our sponsors at Gibraltar International Bank for sharing our passion for business. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to tune in next time for more exciting discussions on the business landscape in Gibraltar. Until then, stay positive. Stay productive and keep reaching for your goals.